Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. Well, today we are going to do an interview, again, with my You're Not Alone interview series that I started to reach out to people that felt like whatever they were going through was a very lonely journey. And sometimes it's just helpful to know that other people are going through things that are rough and sometimes something very similar to what we're going through. So we can feel like, you know, gosh, I'm not the only one that's struggling with this. And what helps this other person maybe can help me too. So to try to help us reach out and just pull together as a community. Well, today I am excited about the guest we have. Her name is Clynn, and I'm going to spell this. I really like this first name because I like different names. This is K-L-Y-N, Clynn Ellsbury. Now, Clynn has endured over 67, I'm going to say that again, 67 hospitalizations from cystic fibrosis. And she went on to build the MK Foundation, a peak performance consulting firm. She's also a two-time best-selling author. And the books, we'll talk about those later, and I'm definitely going to put those into the show notes. She also offers motivational keynotes, which I watched that as well, which was fantastic, offers personal growth workshops and facilitates interactive leadership meetings. She dedicates her life to help others achieve seemingly impossible goals. And don't we all know what that feels like? By overcoming adversity and discovering their unique sense of greatness. Clynn, welcome, welcome to Phoenix and Flame. Hello, it's so good to be here. I'm excited to chat with you, learn a little bit more. And of course, anybody who is sitting right there in the ashes, hopefully today is the day that you rise. Absolutely. Well, you know, you can start wherever you're most comfortable starting. Like I, we were chatting, Clint and I were chatting a few minutes before we started recording the podcast. And, you know, she has so many experiences and so many things to share. I just wouldn't even, gosh, it's just so much and it's so helpful. So just start wherever you'd like to start and we'll just kind of go back and forth and just see where it goes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, So I mean, really, the main reason uh, that many people want me to be on their show is simply because I do have a background with cystic fibrosis. Uh, For those of you who aren't familiar with what that means, it can be a little tongue twisty, Um, but it's a genetic condition. I was born with it. So to date, I'm in my 30s. I am one of the oldest and healthiest people in the world with it, uh, fittest. And really, it wasn't always like that. Uh, I've had to date now, it's been over 70 hospitalizations. So I need to update my bio a bit. Um, And they range in length from two nights to as long as six months. And usually it's just because there's an exacerbation, which means that my lungs have filled with a thick, sticky, infected mucus uh, that I can't cough out. And so it slowly takes away the vitality of your organs. Um, And we do what's traditional in the CF world. We do a tune-up which is a two-week hospitalization every spring and every fall, just to make sure we've got the lung function in between 
the visits. So for the most part, um, that's the background many people become curious of. And then on the professional front, you know, I had this day where I was like, you know, I'm kind of bored. <laughs> you can only be hospitalized so many times before boredom sets in. And I vowed to never play video games and only give myself one hour of TV after all my treatments for the day. And that's what helped me on the path to entrepreneurship and the path to figuring out, you know, what what have my struggles taught me and in what ways can I give back to the world? So you combine entrepreneurship with life in hospitals and you come out with, uh, you know, this concept of mindful leadership and how anybody, regardless of their position in a company or their own business, um, can just use some wellness practices and be mindful and how it can really catapult their next level to success. That's amazing to me. Now, I'm interested, you can have two people that walk down the same path and one person will be very beaten down they'll give up. They won't rise. They won't feel like they have the ability to rise or to push through. Whereas the other person walking right beside them will be able to to push through. From your experience, and I know from listening to your keynote, so much, so many nights in the hospital and watching so many other people and, and the other people with cystic fibrosis die, children, you know, your peers at the time that were dying around you and I'm just kind of wondering what your what your wisdom is at this point of what's the difference between the person who just gives up and the person who pushes onward. Yeah, uh, so actually, it's interesting because there I have an entire keynote series on that. You know, so we call it a crucible, and a crucible is a sudden life changing realization or moment where you're put to the ultimate test. And it was coined after the term that medieval alchemists used to turn base metals into gold, right? And really, science has come out and said that there's only four components um, to determining what gets somebody out of a default mental state. So they say that after six months, uh, let's say, you know, God forbid I was hit by a car today and uh, maybe I lost the ability to walk. Um, well, in about six months, my relative happiness levels and life fulfillment will get to about the baseline that they are today, meaning no more, no worse. And what's interesting in those studies is sometimes the default setting in your brain, which is that six month window marker, um, doesn't fully recover. And they've identified the four reasons why that is. And just real quickly, it's perceived progress. So are you making progress in your day-to-day activities? Perceived control, you know, this is why the serenity prayer is so important. Focus on what you can control. And then uh, having a strong vision or purpose um, that's actually linked to an increase in all-cause mortality, meaning if you have your strong vision and you have a purpose and you believe in it and you remind yourself of it, um, chances are you're going to live longer than those who don't and your subjective well-being increases. And then the last one, you know this, uh, you need a tribe. You're not going through it alone. Um, that's where support groups come in handy. That's where your friends come in handy. Um, that's where family means everything. And you really combine those four components. And when the crucible occurrence happens, you, you wind up being able to prevail a lot quicker in your default zone. It's a fascinating study. It sounds like a fascinating study. I love those kinds of things. I remember studying pain uh, a long time ago. And what they found was that the people who felt like there was a reason for their pain they were able to tolerate statistically significant higher levels of pain and for longer time spans than those people that felt like it was just random. 
that there was no reason for it. Nothing productive was coming from it. It was just pain. And so that's a big deal. Yeah, they did these studies of young squirrel monkeys, and they would take them away from their mothers for once a week for 10 weeks in their adult, in their childhood. And when they went back to study what happened to the squirrel monkeys they took away from their moms, those squirrel monkeys actually wound up being the leaders and the doers of the tribe. Um, so they were the ones that all the other squirrel monkeys listened to. And they wanted to know, hey, does this actually equate to humans? Or are we just talking about a little pot of squirrel monkeys? And they would do all of these interesting studies over, I think it was like a 15-year period with a subset of people. And they found that the similar things were happening where these people became the entrepreneurs or the managers or the CEOs. Um, they brought a bucket of ice out and they, these people uh, were able to, people who had overcome significant adversity or trauma, uh, they were actually able to keep their hand in the bucket of ice longer than the others. Uh, they needed less prescription drugs overall. Um, and so there's all this compelling research, I find, that those who've gone through some stuff or those who are in the ashes, um, you know, might not feel like there's a way out. And, you know, that's by God's brilliant design. But those are the people statistically who can succeed in all aspects of the world. And I think that's it's a really beautiful concept is when we're going through it, it doesn't feel like this is the end road, right? Like it feels like, when will this stop? You know, why am I here? Why am I alive? But it's the types of people who can get through those tough times that become the people who change the future for the better. It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Absolutely beautiful. And, you know, listening to you talk and thinking about your story and that, you know, you still have cystic fibrosis. You still have to deal with it. Because I remember when I, the things that you were sharing on the, your keynote, and again, listeners out there, go to the, the website. It's MissKlyn, M-I-S-S-K-L-Y-N.com. Watch the video. You were talking about all the medications that you were having to take in the port that you have and all the, the, the infusions and things that you were having to do. Of course, that was a few years ago, but still it's, you know, it's, I would imagine it's still somewhat still the same. <laughs> I had a, a listener that contacted me fairly recently and she said, Dana, I noticed that you have people that you have as guests on your podcast. And it seems like they've already gone through their thing. They, they have finished, they've come out the other side. And she said, what about those of us who are still struggling? We're still trying to push through and that we're still sitting in the ashes, but we're, we're moving forward. And we're, and I see you as someone who's a very good example of that is that, you know, the cystic fibrosis didn't, you know, you did these things, not after it just magically disappeared, you're doing it alongside and you're still doing that even in the middle of the struggle. Yeah. I mean, so and it's interesting because I do these corporate workshops on these concepts too, because sometimes, you know, it's just nice to take a day, you know, to treat your employees to learning how to go through the tough stuff. It's not all about work, y'all. And there's always somebody in every workshop who's like, and we've made the analogy before, you know, you're sitting in your closet the light's off, you can't find the switch, and it feels like the door is locked. And how do I find that light switch? Uh, I still get hospitalized, um, usually about now it's only about once a year, and I still take all my medications, uh, so about 30 pills a day, um, and I get my port flushed every other month. So, I mean, I'm still going through CF. But what's interesting is when we talk about the concepts of mindful leadership, 
all a mindful leader is, and you can be a leader in your family, it doesn't have to be corporate, but all a mindful leader is, is it's somebody who can recognize how to change their relationship to stress. And so stress is bad, right? We know this. Stress, we have a negative connotation of it. Well, there's another form of stress called eustress. And eustress essentially is good stress. Well, it's the kind of stress that if you go work out, you put yourself through a grueling workout, you're sweating, you hate life, <laughs> if you're like me, and then you come out allegedly better, right? Um, still have that last five pounds. And the concept is, is if you can do that with a workout, can't you do that with mental fitness? So for those who are sitting in the closet with the light off and the door locked, and they don't know if they'll ever find the light switch again, well, part of being mindful and part of the recovery is to recognize that what you're going through, that darkness, can be used for good at some point. And I always encourage people, if I waited to be healthy, to start achieving the things in my heart and on my bucket list and in my vision, I never would have achieved anything. And so if you're going through the closet, right, that's the time, that's the sign where you can tell your brain, brain, that's one side of the story, I'm in the dark closet. The other side of the story is, and I'm still going to do the things that's in my heart. Yeah, that, and that's it. Yeah. I mean, I like the way you say the relationship, our relationship to stress. And you had mentioned earlier about perception, how we perceive things. And there's something that mm-hmm. I wrote down from, I think it's one of the things that you said in your keynote, you said, it's only our interpretation of what is going on that is actually going on. <laughs> I love that because I'm always curious who pulls what out of what um, keynote, but that was one of my favorite lines. Um, so I, I, I appreciate you sharing that. It's a, Well, that's huge. I mean, because I'm a psychotherapist and I see patients all the time and there's actually an acronym. I'm not going to belabor all this, but it's S-A-A-R, whereas S is the, some kind of situation, some random situation. A is something about it draws your attention. But the next A, mm-hmm. that's the most powerful. That's your, you are assessing what's going on. Yeah. And then that determines R, which is your response. So your, your assessment of it is, that's where the power lies. How are you assessing that situation? Because if you, if you assess it in such a way that it's, it, that it's negative, that it's harmful, that it's, you know, something bad is going to happen, somebody's coming after you, then we get, we get all guarded, we get defensive, and that, that's how we respond. But if, we, if yeah. we assess that in some different kind of way, then we respond in a much different way. And that's what I hear you saying about our relationship to stress and how we perceive it. You know, that goes right along the lines with how we do that. Yeah. That and one last What did you say the third A was? Awareness? There's two A's. There's a mm-hmm. S for situation. The first A is the something draws your attention. The second is a third letter, but it's a second A. And that's your assessment. Yep. And then the last is R is you the your response. Mm-hmm. I love that. Thank you. You're welcome. I can remember talking to a patient of mine and she's like, Dana, I feel like I'm underwater all the time. I feel like I can't even, I, I, everything that I do, I'm trying to get, and I can't get above water. And I'm like, well, you know what? Maybe you need to grow gills 
you know, so it's just kind of like adapting. If, if we can't, if we try to get somewhere and we can't get there, it's like, okay, well, that's what I hear you saying about the closet. When you were describing the closet, that's what I was thinking of. Okay, well, I'm in this dark room and I can't seem to find my way out. Okay, well, let's reinterpret. I'm in here. It's like, okay, well, what am I going to do in here? How am I going to reinterpret? What's my assessment of this situation? And basically growing gills in that situation. So it's no longer scary. It's no longer uh, an yeah. environment that you can't function in. Yeah. And I always, my thing that triggers me always is when I hear the word always, <laughs> even though I just said it five times, uh, because you're always underwater. Like you cannot possibly, you would have died by now. Like, yep. so it's just recategorizing our relationship to what it means to be underwater and, you know, find the good. There's beauty if we just open our eyes long enough to embrace it, um, even on my worst of worst hospitalization and days, I still was able to find something that was beautiful in it. And it doesn't have to be all abstract. You know, I appreciate my struggles because it made me who I am, but it could be the simple things like, you know, a nurse coming in and just be nice, like, <laughs> and then hint, if the world's being mean to you, maybe you should try being nice. The world responds to how your energy is. I don't understand the science behind it, but on the tough days um, or the days I just don't feel like getting up or getting out of bed or, you know, um, traveling and in airports, I always carry thank you cards with me and I fill them out because everybody loves getting a handwritten thank you card. And you'd be amazed three weeks later when somebody checks the mail or they get it, how that energy comes back and it comes back tenfold and it is beautiful. So if you're in the closet, man, one of the weirdest things you can do is go to Amazon, buy $10 worth of thank you cards and fill them out until your hands hurt and just put them in the mail and wait. Like it'll come back. It'll come back. That's wow. That what a wonderful idea. And that's such a good example yeah. of, of kind of what, what you put out. That's what comes back. Cause there's some people that they're, they're insistent. They're putting out a lot of neg negativity and then they sure. fuss when negativity comes back to them. You know, I wanted to kind of point out here, cause I wrote this down after watching your keynote. And I know this is an audio podcast, so I'm going to describe to you guys. Clint is very beautiful. She's gorgeous. Uh -huh. She's got this, this long blonde hair, and she's just beautiful. Her face is beautiful. And as I was watching you talk on the, the keynote on your website, I was thinking there would be a lot of people that don't know anything about you that would judge you and think, oh, she's this or she's that because she, because you have a certain kind of appearance. And I'm bringing this up because I talk a lot on my podcast about not prejudging people. Don't make assumptions about people because you don't know. Because I think we all have had people judge us by something that we said or something that we did when they didn't know the whole story. And that's lots of times why I get into boundaries is not, not owning other people's stuff, but really just encouraging people to, you don't, you don't know what people have been through. And when I was listening to your keynote, you have been through so much stuff, so much, but if somebody were to pass you in the airport, they would have no clue. They would, they would just think that yeah. there's another beautiful woman. I bet she's, you know, I bet she's going out to get in her sports car and going to her fancy place and her this, that, and the other. We have, that's ridiculous. We have no idea, but I'm just pointing this out. We need to get to know people for who they are and find out their situation and stop making assumptions. And it's a beautiful thing to remind us of it. I get it constantly. That's cool. You know, I've, I've been pre-judged 
Um, I had one person write a review. This is funny. They actually wrote a review saying that I made it all up for attention, um, which was hilarious. And eventually you get to the point where like, yeah, we're on number 70 now. Um, so my network has been there. You know, I, I live stream everything on Instagram when I'm in the hospital just for that reason. And I had to add some hospital photos in my PowerPoints because people thought it was just made up, uh, <laughs> which is hilarious and fun at the same time. But, you know, you bring up a great point. Uh, and that's really, first of all, who are we to judge? And second of all, you know, it, it is easy to judge. It's I, I do it too. And I catch myself. I'm like, oh, not my finest moment. Um, but just having the awareness like, hey, right now we're being kind of rude and we're judging others. Um, but also I think in other ways, perhaps not more than others, but it's how we judge ourselves that determines how we rise, right? I have a beautiful, oh my word, you think I'm pretty, like this chick beats me. Um, most brilliant woman. She's one of only 6,000 designated ER trauma nurses, like the most brilliant soul I've ever met. And she also won a pageant in a certain state. Um, so she's Miss, insert state name here, which is stunning. And the other day, and she's maybe 5'10", 120 pounds, called herself fat. And yeah, oh, girl, if you saw her, and I don't want to give out her name, but like, she's one of my dearest friends. And I remember just thinking, like, if you're thinking this about yourself, how is that showing up? And we all do it. You know, we don't notice. I mean, even when I logged on to this, and I know this is audio for you listeners, but I'm wearing a tank top that I was like, oh, that doesn't show on camera as well as I was expecting. But we always, you know, we kick ourselves when we're down and we can't figure out how to get back out of it. And then right when we're down, we insult ourselves. And like, if we would just talk to us like we would a friend, mm -hmm. how much more good would there be in the world? And that's, that's just, I, to me, that's the saddest part is yes, we're all judging others. Um, we just got to be mindful of it and fix it when we've made a mistake, but also we are the other we have to fix too. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, for, for the people listening, if that just triggered for you, it's because it's big on my soul right now. Man, just be nice to yourself. <laughs> well, I mean, that's such a big, big deal. I mean, I, I don't know how many times in my practice I've said to my patients, I said, you know that I'm never going to judge you. I don't care what you say in this office. I'm never going to judge anything that you say. I said, but the bigger ask is I'm going to ask you to not judge yourself that we're going to be talking mm -hmm. about your behavior. We're going to be observing your behavior and we're going to be talking about that. But I want you just to observe it and not judge it. And usually when I say the bigger ask is I'm asking you not to judge yourself, then they get then they cringe. You can see them their shoulders just cringe yeah. down because that's a big deal, you know, our attitude about yeah. ourselves. You know, you said mm -hmm. something on Again, I think I picked this up in your in your keynote. I just I just loved it. I'm telling you, I'll have to go listen to it. Oh. So you said practice saying to loved ones what you would say if you knew you wouldn't wake up tomorrow. And then you gave an example. You went into different things that you, you know, would have or said to different people. And I want to tie that with a one of the the questions, uh, for those that are listening, Clint and I both belong to a group called Podmatch. And it's just a fabulous group where, that connects a podcast hosts and guests together. And so what we do is when we want to put a guest profile, we will list out questions that we're prepared to answer. And Clint, one of yours is, 
it says in your keynotes, you also talk a lot about the benefits of thinking about death and why is that? Um, you had to face the possibility slash probability of death a lot growing up and you saw it all around you of people that were in the hospital with you and fellow patients that you got to know um, and cared about. Mm -hmm. And so that was, it was kind of in your face. And so you were forced to think about something that a lot of people try so hard not to think about, but it sounds like you've turned it around into something helpful and strengthening. I'm interested to, to hear your thoughts on that. Well, it is helpful and strengthening, and there's not a lot you need to do to turn around, y'all. So look, get this. So those who have contemplated their death, studies have gone out. They're more empathetic. They're more likely to donate blood, time, or resources. They studied American and Iranian fundamentalists, and they made them each think about their own deaths before a meeting, and they were more likely to reach a negotiation or... Uh, have a bond or a relationship. And I wonder how many times in our fragmented relationships, we forget that life is finite. In one of the workshops, um, I actually lead a very, very, very emotional experience. Um, and I, I do it on Zoom too for some people, but um, I prompt them with journals to think about their death and what they've learned. And the reality is, is one guy said it better than I ever will, so now I'm stealing it from him. Uh, but he basically said, you know, it's like I'm driving in a car with my kids and there's an accident and I lose my kids. What would I have had a conversation with them about in the car if I knew I was about to get hit by a truck? Whew. Yeah. And so in our culture, we think it's a very powerful experience is the contemplating death workshop. Um, let me tell you. And it's interesting because in our world, in American society, uh, we don't think about it much. Um, but you go outside of our society and they think about it a lot. I mean, we call it a celebration of life. We can't even call it a funeral or a passing. Um, and then a beverage cart comes out around two and everybody gets wasted and numbs their feelings. <laughs> but if you truly sit and you analyze death and you analyze your own death and you analyze the death of your friends, your family, your spouse, your children, you have the opportunity to change the conversation in the car before it happens. And you have the opportunity to reset your life before it's too late. The most common regrets of the dying um, are that they didn't live a life that they wanted to. They lived a life that they thought they should. Obviously, they spent too much time working and not being present. That's a big one. Um, and then the interesting thing is that they never became enough, whatever their definition of enough was. And if we all sit and, you know, I mean, honestly, if anyone wants to, to reach out and do this workshop, it's... Um, we ask questions that maybe you've never known that change your life. And how beautiful would it be to know that if we had our expiration date, if I knew six days from now was the last day, how would I have lived differently? Like honestly sitting and thinking and contemplating these thoughts. Um, and then the research study wound, out, wound up uh, ending with those who did pass in the hospitals when they spent an hour every day contemplating death and thinking about it. And an hour a day, you know, isn't, I mean, it's a lot initially, but you can just have fleeting moments throughout the day once you've really done some deep contemplation. But they found that those people passed on happier. Huh. Um, they were nicer to their friends and family. They were nicer to the nurses. They were more likely to give back to charity at the end. They fixed any broken relationships that they had. And they wound up leaving on a high note, lack of better words. And it's it's a beautiful thing to contemplate, but it's weird for us because we're not used to thinking about death in those absolute terms. 
but I, I encourage everyone, you know, write out your thank you cards in the morning and spend 20, 30 minutes answering some journal questions on it. And you will live an entirely different, more beautiful, radically ignited life. And I think that's what's amazing about it. That's awesome. And truly, I, I like the point that you're making is that if there's something like the, the guy's analogy about in the truck with the kids and what would you say to your kids if you knew that an accident was coming and they were going to die? And that sounds horrible to think about. But if, if we can capture it while we're still alive and actually have those conversations, and I would strongly encourage you guys listening, the people that are in your life, you know, th- that are that are close to you, whether it's a, a spouse, a child, a parent, a coworker, whatever, if there's someone that that you need to say something to them, something they don't know about how you feel, then say it. And if you have trouble saying, because some people have trouble, they feel kind of embarrassed saying it out loud with their words verbally. I don't know what the studies would show, but I would think if someone even wrote it down and gave it to them um, would help as well. I always have one or two people in the workshops who say, you know, I'm not good at this. I don't know how to put things into words. And it's like, if that's you listening, yeah, that's why you got to do it. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because if you're not good at it, it's a sign you're not doing it much. Uh, and you're not having the deep conversations that ultimately fuel your soul. That's a very good point. You know, do the hard thing. <laughs> do, do the thing you think you cannot do, you know. Eat the frog. <laughs> <laughs> you know, talking about, sometimes I'll use that trying to keep people, help them to be mindful. And that's something else I heard you talking about as well. Just being in the moment, like you said, being in the hospital room and just appreciating looking at flowers or the smell of something or, or somebody coming in, that's really being mindful, being in the moment. And sometimes I say to people, you know what? You don't know if you're going to be alive five minutes from now. I mean, you hope so. And I hope I'm going to be alive five minutes from now, but we don't know that. So why don't we just stay in the moment? I say, keep your head where your feet are and just stay in the moment and appreciate what you have, which is right now. That's the only thing any of us have is right now. Because so much, I know I have to deal a lot with anxiety and stuff with people. That's about the future. That's all the what mm-hmm. if, what if, what if about about what may or may not happen in the future. So being mindful and just staying in the moment is a really big deal. Yeah. Well, Clint, you have shared so much, and this is so, so helpful. I did want to say that you have two books. Now, if I'm miswording these, let me know. But the one is I Am, The Untold Story of Success. And then the second one was Unstuck Yourself. I love those. And they will definitely be in the show notes. I just wanted to kind of see if there was any last uh, words of wisdom that you have or any last thoughts for the listeners before we kind of close up for today. Yeah, I mean, I always, I, I love ending podcasts with the opening line from my book. I didn't say it, Maya Angelou did. And it's a bird sitting on a branch is never afraid of the branch breaking. For its trust is not on the branch, but in her own wings. Mm. Ooh, that's good. Very talented. (laughs) I like that. I like that. And I want to add to that something that is is a quote that's on your website. You said, champions are built, not born. So I want to give this out as an encouragement to, to listeners that, you know, if you don't feel like you have it right now, that doesn't mean you can't build into it. Doesn't mean you can't develop the skills. And kind of like how you pointed out a minute ago, if somebody doesn't feel very comfortable verbalizing their thoughts and their feelings towards someone else, okay, we'll do it anyway. Learn yeah. how to do it. 
you know, push through it, develop that comfort level with that instead of shying away from it or trying to work around it in some kind of way. Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. Well, Clint, I so appreciate your time. I know you're very busy. You've got this, the big company and you're, you know, very much in demand. So I appreciate you willing to come and, and spend some time with me and my listeners and trying to help out and reach out. And I know that they will very much appreciate what you have shared and it will make a difference in a lot of people's lives. That's the goal. <laughs> well, I tell you what, guys, if you're listening and you're out there and you're paying attention, I know something in this podcast, something Clint has shared has touched you in some kind of way. So I would very much appreciate you sharing that on your social media, whatever platforms you like to use, whether it's, you know, Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever the case may be, put it on Twitter, share it with friends, send it in text, send it an email, put it out there, share it. Um, so that we can pull more people in and help more people and build our Phoenix and Flame community. I hope you've had a wonderful day. I hope the rest of your day goes well. And this is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.